Welcome back, folks, to Rig, the Random Idea Generator Cast. I am your host, Nick. I'm Matt. And I'm Brandon. And we are the Brothers McGill, and we are here to start the second half of the month, our official storytelling aspect. We've got uh, half of the story to tell you this week, and then you're going to want to tune in next week for the thrilling conclusion. Um, we're going to end this week with a nice little cliffhanger roll. And if you didn't tune in last week, this is kind of an okay point to jump in if you want to hear just the story, but I highly suggest you tune in to how we created our characters that will be seen in this story and how we created the world and the brainstorming that we did to get them into the place that they are. Before we we dive too headfirst in, I just want to do a quick note. Um, I've said in the past couple episodes, be sure you check out the podcast notes or go right to the site fecklessmomes.com and navigate on over to the rigged page. Every week that we launch a podcast, we also um, put up some art that Matt creates to depict a scene from the story that we're telling you or one of the characters that we've rolled up. With that little bit of housekeeping aside, let's do a quick recap of the story so far of what characters we have and the environment that we've built around that. So, uh, Brando, you want to start with a little recap for us? Certainly. All right, so we've rolled the characters, and character one, let's see, which was rolled by Nick, was a lizard folk cleric of the Life Domain. It is a female named April Malone. She is an adolescent, and she is aligned chaotic neutral. Uh, her background is that of a clan crafter, and her trinket is the shell of an egg painted with scenes of human misery in disturbing detail. And we had a nice little discussion on what that might be and some nice little wisecracks about it in our last episode. Uh, let's see, character two, rolled by Matt is a halfling with a variant of Ghostwise. His halfling is a rogue and a subtype of arcane trickster, also female, named Carla Stokes, who is a young adult, aligned chaotic neutral. The background of Carla is Outlander, and her trinket is a brass orb etched with strange runes. And the third character, who I rolled, has a race of Furbolg, and the class is Bard with a College of Swords subtype. My instrument of choice as a Bard is a mandolin. My character is also female, also named April Malone. April Malone, number two, as we kind of dubbed her, is an undead, and we did an extra roll just to kind of give a little background to see how old she was when she passed which led us to find out that she's an elder when she passed. Her alignment is neutral evil. Her background is that of a folk hero. And her trinket is an enormous scale, possibly from a dragon. All right. That's our three characters. That's our, our party makeup. Matt, let's get a quick recap. We did a good chunk of brainstorming and really kind of hammering out the the story and the world that we're going to be exploring over the next two episodes. 
but let's see if you can we can kind of condense it down into just kind of the some of the crucial points although there are there there do seem to be a lot from what i remember yeah um first of all the relationship between the three characters they are reluctant allies mm-hmm. this all takes place on a small island and the conflict is a cult which if you've been following along we've had quite a few cults but this one is a little bit different as in it is uh, it's definitely a doomsday cult um, that has taken over this island they worship a dragon which is where that scale that April 2 has in her possession um, most likely came from and the MacGuffin for this for this story is the sword of rigidity and the way we have worked that in is that the sword itself is actually what April 2 used to slay the dragon initially and it uh, kind of froze the dragon to to its spot kind of on the top of a mountain and perfect place for a cult to really deify a creature and the whole crux of the story is basically getting April 2 back to that sword so that she can create a sense of finality to the slaying of the dragon whereas the cult needs April 2 in order to raise the dragon and then bring about that eventual doomsday which they are so fond of I guess you could say and then just to work in the shell of the or the eggshell that was apparently a kind of a little last rites I guess from when April 2 was was killed by the dragon. They basically killed each other, and in April 2's last, you know, dying breaths, she almost shown this prophecy of human misery if the dragon was ever to rise again. And that is kind of where the story will... The genesis of the story that we're going to tell today is uh, kind of from that egg and the finding of that egg outward. Yeah, I think um, technically we haven't determined if if where we're going to be starting in True. in the the story of their party of their adventure, but ultimately the, the story is these this raised this this somehow undead. We don't even we haven't really even determined that, and I don't think we necessarily need to. But this somehow undead bard and these two runaways cult babies trying to save the day yep so it it could be it could be just a an unexplained portion of their backstory you know we might not get to it depends on who starts it and where we go from there i guess so at that is there anything else we want to address did you did you mention the that the scale is if april 2 complete like completes the dragon and puts the scale in there and then pulls the sword that will complete the the death of the dragon essentially correct yeah i uh, i omitted that point but that is the that's why she needs to get that back there that's true right so it's it's the she has to get there regardless it just depends on on what she does once she's there whether it will benefit the cult 
or I guess basically the rest of the world. Yep. So anything else that we, we want to mention or, or bring up before we jump into this, this storytelling? I don't think so. Not that I can think of. I think we covered it. I think that was a good, that was a good, um, a good recap. So let's start then. We'll start with rolling a niche and we'll go from there. So everybody roll your D20s. Okay, I'm not bad. I got a 14. I got a 12. I rolled a three. A three. Womp. Okay. All right. So it's going to be me at a 14, Matt at a 12, and Brandon bringing up the rear with a three. So let us start. I'm going to start the clock at seven minutes. And Nick, whenever you're ready, you can begin. Thank you, Nick. The sun is just cresting over the mountain on a somewhat small island. Think tropical, think your standard, kind of what you would expect anytime you see uh, uh, like a shipwreck movie. It's it seems it seems idyllic if you have a, a a setup to survive on this island, and it just so happens that there is a community living on this island that has sprung up in the past couple of uh, past couple decades. To from the, an outside observer, it would seem that it's just just a really like chill, relaxed island community. In fact. They're even starting to to promote tourism to secretly fund the fact that they are a cult. And it is a cult specifically built around the desiccated remains of a blue dragon that is pinned to the top of a mountain, the highest peak on this island. And there have been several, sev- there, there, there has only been one generation raised in this cult. There were the, there's the parents, and then they've, they've had kids on this island. And some of the kids are, are in their, in their early to late teens. And as, as teens are wont to do, they are beginning to think for themselves and they are beginning to, consider other mindsets and other theories and other religions and other what-have-yous, aside from what their parents have taught them their entire lives. And it just so happens that we have a pair of girls, some of the the oldest of the kids on, on the island, who have been exposed to some some other thinking, some bolder thinking from some of the the tourists that have come. They've told them of what life is like outside the island. They've uh, they've gotten books and some some kind of sneaky education outside the island. And in fact, they've got they found a an eggshell with a depiction of a dragon that is very similar to the depiction of the dragon that their parents and the cult worship. But the eggshell that has this depiction of a dragon shows 
what could only be a horrifying version of the end times. This dragon is causing great destruction and misery on all that it, it, it seems to be touching. So these girls, w- between the outside influence and this, are really questioning the motives of their parents. And being old enough, they're beginning to understand the the consequences of what their parents are vying for. But they're also young enough to realize that they, they could have their whole lives ahead of them. And because of that, they spend a lot of times a lot of their time alone trying to come up with some way to possibly convince their parents not to do it or to stop the cult. And that seems an impossibility because when you're that age, your parents are are not human. They're not mortal. They they don't see a a weakness in their parents and what their parents say is iron steadfast law. And because of that, they they really want to make a change in what's going to happen, but they don't foresee it being able to. So they're kind of resigned to, to their situation until one day when they're exploring a kind of a dark cave that they've they've never really explored before. They come upon a zombie. An undead, a a resurrected creature. And this is the most exciting thing they've ever seen. And they very quickly begin to talk. And they very quickly begin to recognize that this is a person that a lot of the lore that their cult is based around in in the flesh, uh, in the rotting flesh, but in the flesh all the same. And they realize that she, that this person, this April Malone, the namesake of our young lizard folk, she is not in fact the folk hero that her family and and their parents and the cult make her out to be. She was meant to kill this dragon and she didn't fully succeed in doing that. So because of that, and and the, the magic swirling about in this island, because of that, she has, re- she has resurrected, and she still needs to finish her purpose. And very quickly, all, all three of them, they realize what needs to happen. That the, the day of resurrection is very soon... And if they don't get up to the top of that mountain, complete the corpse by by placing that that last brilliantly blue shining scale into the dragon's corpse and pull the sword to release the magic, then the dragon could very well be resurrected. So they... The day that it's supposed to happen, the day that their parents are going up that mountain, they realize that they, they have no more time. So they, they leave the cave and they start up the, the path. And there is only one main path to get to the top of the mountain. There are some side paths and stuff. 
but the, it's predominantly traveled up this main path. And it's it's the easiest, but it's also the one where they're the most likely to run in, into the cult members. And because of that, they're really struggling. Like, do they want to take this main path and get up there as fast as possible? Or should they take the side and kind of avoid any of the other traffic? So because of that, they they have to make this decision. So we'll have Matt roll this this first roll to, to determine what that decision is. Uh, for our navigation roll. Okay. Roll a d20. Yeah, give us a d20. That is a three. So they go to the left. They go to the left. Okay. So rather than taking that main path, and rather than going to the right, where they they see it's it's a really steep... Basically, they, they need to, to scale kind of a cliff face if they were go, to go to the right. The left kind of snakes along on the outside of the mountain. None of them have actually gone up that path before, but they know ultimately any path will get them to the top. So at, at that, at the they as they step off onto the the left path, Matt, take it away. They realize that uh, naturally this path to the left is going to take a little bit longer than uh, just going straight up the uh, the well-worn road, I guess you could say. So they start to pick up the pace a little bit. They are, at this point, they're not even really worried about covering their tracks. Like They realize that the only chance they really have right now is to just move quickly through the brush and just try to get to the top as quick as possible. Obviously they're trying to beat anyone and everyone else from the, the cult itself to this, uh, this large dragon at the top of the mountain. And they are, they're moving along at a pretty brisk pace. It is, uh, that path, the one they went to the left is just, is a lot easier to, uh, travel than the, the cliff face that they would have had to, to scale on the right. So they're making really good time. They are um, just kind of crashing through any kind of uh, of animals or, or insects or things like that that are in their way are just fleeing from the, uh, the, the footsteps of these three characters. Obviously, the uh, undead Furbolg, April is just, she's just dragging herself along this path because none of, no one has traveled this way before, they don't really know what they're going to face. There's a, a moment of, of unease as they look down the mountainside and they see little structures, huts, almost like teepees, things like that in the distance that they are unfamiliar. It's not their village, it's not the, the cult, and they're they're just a little concerned that that they're going to travel too close to these these structures and then there'll just be unwelcome visitors so they increase their efforts to to make it up this mountain there is a slight shake in the ground as they are are scaling the heights and it just it stops them dead in their tracks they're not really sure what, where this came from. All they can tell is that it's 
top of the mountain seems to be uneasy. Almost like the closer that April 2, the our undead furbolg, is closer as she gets to the top of the mountain. It's almost like that that dragon is welcoming her. Like it uh, it wants her to come home to to set it free. They keep on moving, knowing that they they don't have any other option but to get April up there. Young April, the our lizard folk, she's constantly just staring at this eggshell, wondering just how how it came to be, like how how April too was able to have this premonition in her dying moments. April too explains that this is is just part of the bard ability that she possesses. She's, for lack of a better term, a very high level bard, and and there is a certain amount of of fortune telling and premonition that she has. And while that while they are scaling this this mountain, April two pulls out her mandolin, pulls out a severed hand, which we're not really sure why she's carrying it, but then decides to use it to play the uh, the mandolin. And as she's playing, she's singing and and regaling these two young women with a uh, basically the tale of her of her own demise, as as morbid as that sounds. So they are, they're walking along. April 2 is singing, singing her tale. And then all of a sudden they come up to a clearing in the side of the mountain. This used to be completely forested, but now they see that some, some spots have been, have been cleared away. And just April 2, her, her song just kind of catches in her throat. She's not sure what's what's going on, where exactly they are. She knows that when in doubt, go up. But as they're about to just push on through this clearing, they see a little group of kobolds that are just sitting on the edge of the clearing. They're chittering, they're speaking in their koboldish language, if you will. And she's not really sure what to do at this point. Like, do they just ignore these little creatures and move on do they do they just try to outrun them or do they have to fight these little things that it's obviously going to take a lot of time out of their their busy schedule so to speak so with that brando why don't you give us a a d20 roll for our first conflict and we'll see what they do okay uh, we have an 11, which is an enemy joins the party. Oh, cool. Okay. Nice. Because they haven't made any rash decisions, they haven't run through as if they're trying to escape or or engaged the, the kobolds as if they're enemies, they approach these little creatures as friends almost. You know, uh, there is no animosity, and the kobolds see this. And while of the three kobolds that are there, there's only one that that really seems interested. Obviously, kobolds are not large creatures, and they like the fact that they're the other 
members of this party are also not, you know, big hulking brutes so that they don't feel as intimidated. They even see a, a lizard folk, which kind of reminds them of their own kin. So this one little kobold decides that he's just, he's going to join up. He, he picks up his little rusty sword that he uh, found in a shipwreck and just follows along, almost Jar Jar Binksian. And uh, with that, Brando, go ahead. So as they, as the now party of four presses on, they all get a sense of, not necessarily dread, but I guess a little anxiety, because they can sort of feel that they're getting closer to the dragon. April, too, in particular, feels this. She doesn't really know why. She's not sure why she is more apt to this insight. She is she can feel all the hair sticking up as she as they press on and she just doesn't know why it's not exactly a feeling of dread it's it's more a feeling of she gets a feeling of purpose and a feeling of relief but she's not again not sure why so as they press on past all of the boulders and in uh bushes and all of the rocky terrain they 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 make a fair um a fairly easy pass of it they don't run into anything and they get to this big clearing up at the top where the corpse is and they see the corpse and they you know very timidly approach it april 2 kind of shoes everyone else backwards some kind of getting a sense of duty that it's her job to protect them before any, anyone else at this point. She slowly makes her way closer to the dragon and thinking that the dragon was slain all these years, she can hear it breathing. It's at this point it's it has been dead for so long it is it is a skeleton. However, she can still hear it breathing. It's as though, you know, you have the, the structure of that dragon still there, but the spirit is 100% alive. She sort of tiptoes around and makes her way to the sword and kind of hems and haws over it a little bit, knowing full well that she needs to pull this sword. But still, again, still sort of nervous about it just because she's not sure how quickly this will happen. So as she reaches to put her hand on the sword, she, she grips, grips the handle. She gets kind of a vision, um, and it all kind of comes to light where she has... She has not been a very joyful and happy being since dying simply because she doesn't want to be stuck in this world. And she she gets sort of a vision in her head that tells her if she is to fulfill this, if she is to 
pull this sword and replace the scale, both her and the dragon will finally be able to rest. Quickly followed by a vision of warning showing pretty much what's on the egg of the dragon without that scale flying over all of the villages and towns and laying them all to waste. And, and, and she finally realizes that that's if she is to pull this sword and not put that scale back, the dragon will be filled with rage and will be flying all over, destroying things to try to find it so that it may rest. So she finds a common ground with this dragon and and she now understands she just now realizes that it's going to be tricky because she has to pull the sword first and wake the dragon up and then somehow get that scale on the dragon so she isn't sure what's going to happen so somewhat reluctantly but with purpose she yanks on the sword and it's as though the calcification of the bone in the in the dragon has become one with the sword and it's it takes her a lot of movement but she can feel it start to loosen and as it comes to just about the tip of the sword there's a almost like a mini earthquake there's a big tremble in the ground and with that, I think we will have Nick roll for our cliffhanger. Alrighty, the cliffhanger, D20. Uh, 10. Ooh, okay. Alright, yep. 10. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of our first storytelling adventure. This is the cliffhanger. We will leave it here for now. Come on back in a week, and we will wrap up the story all together. We'll pick up exactly where we left off with this last roll, this cliffhanger roll, and uh, and we'll go from there. We'll see see what we have with uh, with that conclusion. Thanks everybody for listening to us uh, once again make sure you go back and listen to any episodes that you haven't listened to so far and keep with us as we go on a weekly basis here and make sure that you remember to rate review and subscribe to the feckless moms network on any podcast uh engine that you may use again thank you very much and we'll see you again in a week i'm nick i'm matt and again i'm brandon this is rigged Rigged is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network.